Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, January 31st episode. That would be episode 153 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, I hope you're so far having a decent week. Mine's been a little crazy. Um, I've had to take a dog to uh, the vet for cancer surgery and I've had a friend of mine end up with emergency cardiac surgery. So been a little crazy, but you know, God is in control and uh, I don't think of that as fatalistic. I don't, I don't tend to be fatalistic about it, but you know, I know our days are numbered that, that not, not in a bad way, but that God knew them before the foundation of the earth. And so he's in control of it. But, um, needless to say, it's left me a little bit scatterbrained and I, I gotta apologize for that. And I, last night's message was probably pretty all over the place. So I, I definitely apologize for that. I was kind of all over the place, but um, I do want to remind you, um, you know, we've got the typical links in the show notes like we usually do. Um, you know, the one for our new Bible reading plan that we're doing this year. It's the 2023 Bible reading plan, as well as the McShane plan. And I would I would encourage you to use the McShane plan in your own personal reading. Because and, and please do your own personal reading. Honestly, I'd rather have you do your own personal reading and not listening to me than the other way around. Um, because it's, it's a need. You need to be doing it. Um, but then, then there's also a link in there to the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to get our um, mortgage paid off rapidly so we can shift gears and start establishing a Christian classic education-based school here um, to support our community, to provide our children an alternative to public the public school system and to what goes on in there, um, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, we'd ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us and pray for our endeavors going forward, that we would truly be doing God's will in all of this. Um, two, that you would prayerfully consider giving to facilitate this. We would definitely appreciate that if you can. And three, that you pass the links along so other people can also pray for us and prayerfully consider giving and then, then pass it on as well. Um, so anyways, just to let you know they're there, and I thank you for your time, and I thank you for spending this time with me this morning. So let's go ahead and open up this morning with our third day morning prayer, it being Tuesday in the week, the third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood 
saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where the sun, where none is ever sick, sorry, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion for January 31st from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text is Jeremiah 23, 6, The Lord Our Righteousness. It will always give a Christian the greatest calm, quiet, ease, and peace to think of the perfect righteousness of Christ. How often are the saints of God downcast and sad? I do not think they ought to be. I do not think they would if they could always see their perfection in Christ. There are some who are always talking about corruption and the depravity of the heart and the innate evil of the soul. This is quite true. But why not go a little further and remember that we are perfect in Christ Jesus? It is no wonder that those who are dwelling upon their own corruption should wear such downcast looks. But surely if we call to mind that Christ is made unto us righteousness, we shall be of good cheer. What what though distresses afflict me, though Satan assault me, though there may be many things to be experienced before I get to heaven, those are done for me in the covenant of divine grace. There is nothing wanting in my Lord. Lord, Christ hath done it all. On the cross he said, It is finished, and if it be finished, then am I complete in him, and can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory? Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You will not find on this side heaven a holier people than those who receive into their hearts the doctrine of Christ's righteousness. When the believer says, I live on Christ alone, I rest on him solely for salvation, and I believe that, however unworthy, I am still saved in Jesus, then there rises up as a motive of gratitude this thought, Shall I not live to Christ? Shall I not love him and serve him, seeing that I am saved by his merits? The love of Christ constraineth us, that that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. If saved by impetuous righteousness, we shall greatly value imparted righteousness. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading for the day. Uh, We're going to be starting in Exodus 12. We're partway in. We'll be in Exodus 12 and 13, Matthew 20 and 21, Psalm 25, and Proverbs 6 today. So Exodus 12, we're going to start in verse 14 and go through the end of the verse. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it, celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh. Throughout your generations you are to celebrate it as a perpetual statute. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No work at all shall be done on them, except what must be eaten by every person, that alone may be done by you. You shall also keep the feast of unleavened bread. 
For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this day throughout your generations as a perpetual statute. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread, until the twenty-first day of the month, at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened, and all your places of habitation you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and said to them, Bring out and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and touch some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the doorway of his house until morning. And Yahweh will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and he will see the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, and Yahweh will pass over the doorway and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall keep this event as a statute for you and your children forever. And it will be when you enter the land which Yahweh will give you, as he has promised you shall keep this new slavery. And it will be when your children say to you, What is the meaning of this new slavery to you? That you shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but delivered our homes, and the people bowed low and worshipped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it happened at midnight that Yahweh struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Then Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night, and said, Rise up, get out from among my people both you and the sons of Israel, and go, serve Yahweh as you have spoken. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have spoken, and go and bless me also. And the Egyptians strongly pressed the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We will all be dead. So the people took up their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. They had asked from the Egyptians for articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And Yahweh had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot, aside from the little ones. A foreign multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. And they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened, since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years, and it happened at the end of 430 years to the very day that all the hosts of Yahweh went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be kept for Yahweh, for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for Yahweh, to be kept by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. And Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every man's slave purchased with money, after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. 
A foreign resident or a hired person shall not eat of it. It shall be eaten in a single house. You shall not bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel shall celebrate this. But if a sojourner sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to Yahweh, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near to celebrate it, and he shall be like a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the sojourner who sojourns among you. So all the sons of Israel did, as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, thus they did. And on that same day Yahweh brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And Exodus 13, we're going to read to verse 16. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb, among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. It belongs to me. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a strong hand Yahweh brought you out from this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. This day in the month of Abib you are going out, and it shall be when Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall do this service in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it will be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of Yahweh may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand Yahweh brought you out of Egypt. Therefore you shall keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. And it will be when Yahweh brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and gives it to you. And you shall devote to Yahweh the first offspring of every womb, and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to Yahweh. But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck, and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it will be when your sons ask you in times to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to them, to him, With a strong hand Yahweh brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. And it happened when Pharaoh hardened his heart with stiffness about letting us go that Yahweh killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to Yahweh the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it will be as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries between your eyes, for with a strong hand Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. All right. And now Matthew 20, starting in verse 29 through the end of the chapter. And as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Matthew 21, reading through to verse 22. 
And when they had approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. And this took place in order that what was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a pack animal. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their garments on them, and he sat on the garments. And most of the crowd spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself." And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. And seeing this, the disciples marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither all, <sighs> wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. All right. Psalm 25, verses 16 through 22. All right. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. See my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. See my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness guard me, for I hope in you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And finally, Proverbs 6, verses 12 through 15. A vile person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads contentions. Therefore his disaster will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken, and there will be no healing. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. I hope this time together has been edifying for you. 
uh, and I thank you for spending it with me. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would encourage you that in all you do today, do it for the glory of God. That's what we're called to. And if we truly love God, if we truly love Christ, we should be striving daily to do all that we do for the glory of God. So again, I would implore you to do so. Um, and God willing, I will see you this evening for our Bible study. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, the prayer we're closing with this morning is called reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, thou art beforehand with men, for thou hast reconciled thyself to the world through the cross, and dost beseech men to accept reconciliation. It is my responsibility to grasp thy overtures of grace, for if thou, the offended part, act first with the word of appeasement, I need not call in question thy willingness to save, but must deplore my own foolish maliciousness. If I do not come to thee as one who seeks thy favor, I live in contempt, anger, malice, self-sufficiency, and thou dost call it enmity. Thou hast taught me the necessity of a mediator, a messiah, to be embraced in love with all my heart, as king to rule me, as prophet to guide me, as priest to take away my sin and death, and this by faith in thy beloved Son, who teaches me not to guide myself, not to obey myself, not to try to rule and conquer sin, but to cleave to the one who will, who will do all for me. Thou hast made known to me that to save me is Christ's work, but to cleave to him by faith is my work, and with this faith is the necessity of my daily repentance, as a mourning for the sin which Christ by grace has removed. Continue, O God, to teach me that faith apprehends Christ's righteousness, not only for the satisfaction of justice, but as unspotted evidence of thy love to me. Help me to make use of this work of salvation as the ground of peace, and of thy favor too, and acceptance of me, the sinner, so that I may live always near the cross. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the January, uh, let's see, Tuesday, January 31st episode. That'd be episode 153 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to be working, continuing through our Bible study and John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we've been working since John 1 to this point um and we've hit a segment that we're we're going to be dealing with the messiah and his witnesses and I'll, I'll tell you why i call it that um but first let's go ahead and open up i do want to point out re remind you of the links that are in our show notes of course links to what i'm going to be reading um and i actually i'm going to be coming up shortly on some prayers that i can't seem to find links for but I'm going to be reading them directly out of my hard copy of Valley of Vision. So I'll just let you know, I won't have links for those. Um, just wasn't able to find them. But I definitely want to point out the Give, Sin, Go campaign link for Vail Valley Baptist Church that is in our show notes. Uh, we are What we are trying to do there is we are trying to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishing a Christian classic education-based school 
to provide an alternative to our public schools here in the local area to support our community. Um, so again, um, we would ask three things of you. Um, please pray for us, pray that we would do God's will in all of this. Um, two, prayerfully consider giving. Um, there are a couple of different ways I think you can give through that, through that link. Um, so, but the link will describe all the things we're doing and three, pass the links, pass the link on so others can consider it, can pray for us, can prayerfully consider and then pass it on themselves. The more people that see it, the more people have the possibility of, of helping us. And thus we have a better chance of reaching our goals. So, I mean, that's just kind of a no brainer. So please, if you would do those three, but obviously the most thing, the biggest thing we need from you is prayer. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming this evening and spending this time with me as we do this Bible study. So let's go ahead and open up like we usually do. We open up in prayer. Um, so this Tuesday evening, we're going to open up with a prayer. It's called from Valley Vision. It's called Sins. So let's open up with that. It's, it's a new one. I've never read it before. Um, as much as I've tried to spend time in Valley of Vision, I've never read this one before. So we're going to go through this one together. So let's pray. Merciful Lord, pardon all my sins of this day, week, year, all the sins of my life, sins of early, middle, and advanced years, of omission and commission, of morose, peevish, and angry tempers, of lip, life, and walk, of hard-heartedness, unbelief, presumption, pride, of unfaithfulness to the souls of men, of want of bold decision in the cause of Christ, of deficiency and outspoken zeal for his glory, of bringing dishonor upon thy great name, of deception, injustice, untruthfulness in my dealings with others, of impurity in thought, word, and deed, of covetousness, which is idolatry, of substance unduly hoarded, improvidently squandered, not consecrated to the glory of thee, the great giver, sins in private and in the family, in study and recreation, in the busy haunts of men, in the study of thy word, and in the neglect of it, in prayer irreverently offered and coldly withheld, in time misspent, and yielding to Satan's wiles, and opening my heart to his temptations, in being unwatchful when I know him, him nigh, in quenching the Holy Spirit, sins against light and knowledge, against conscience and the restraints of thy spirit, against the law of eternal love. Pardon all my sins, known and unknown, felt and unfelt, confessed and not confessed, remembered or forgotten. Good Lord, hear, and hearing, forgive. Amen. Wow, what a powerful one. That That's definitely a good one. I, I need to read through that one a few more times. All right, well, our evening devotion from... Um, Spurgeon's morning and evening for January 31st. The text for it is 2 Samuel 18.23. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushi. Running is not everything. There is much in the way which we select. A swift foot over hill and down dale will not keep pace with a slower traveler upon level ground. How is it with my spiritual journey? Am I laboring up the hill of my own works and down into the ravines of my own humiliations and resolutions, or do I run by the plain way of believe and live? How blessed is it to wait upon the Lord by faith. The soul runs without weariness and walks without fainting. In the way of believing, Christ Jesus is the way of life, and he is a plain way, a pleasant way, a way suitable for the tottering feet and feeble knees of trembling sinners. Am I found in this way, or am I hunting after another track, such as priestcraft or metaphysics, may promise me? 
I read of the way of holiness, that the wayfaring man, though a fool, shall not err therein. Have I been delivered from proud reason, and been brought as a little child to rest in Jesus' love and blood? If so, by God's grace, I shall outrun the strongest runner, who chooses any other path. This truth I may remember to my profit in my daily cares and needs. It will be my wisest course to go at once to my God, and not to wander in a roundabout manner to this friend and that. He knows my wants and can relieve them. To whom should I repair but to himself by the direct appeal of prayer and the plain argument of the promise? Straightforward makes the best runner. I will not parley with the servants, but hasten to their master. In reading this passage, it strikes me that if men vie with each other in common matters, and one outruns the other, I ought to be in solemn earnestness, so to run that I may obtain. Lord, help me to gird up the loins of my mind, and may I press forward towards the mark for the prize of my high calling of God in Christ Jesus. All right, well, like I said, we're going to continue in our study of uh, John chapter 5 and I want to do a little bit of review here real quick so we've talked about before the overall purpose of the gospel of John can be seen in John 20 verse 31 but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name so again all that John wrote in his gospel has been written so that we will, we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That we will truly, soul deep believe. That we will savingly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not some intellectual assent. And that in believing, we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. We would have true saving faith. That's the purpose of the gospel. And the gospel of John fulfills that in a number of different ways. Um, of, of course, the, the, the kind of big, big one that jumps out is the eight miracles that are documented in this book. You know, there's eight specific miracles that are documented. And, it, and it, if I remember right, it's eight. And that doesn't even have to do with Christ's death and resurrection. That is also in there. But then we also see Jesus' claims about himself that are backed up by prophecy and, and his life itself, the way he lives his life. But again, he makes clear his claims and he makes clear those claims through prophecy. I mean, he actually quotes prophecy to show who he is. And over the last few evenings, we've talked even more. So we've seen part of those claims, the claims of the spiritual and his, him having the power for spiritual and physical resurrection. We've seen that over the last couple of evenings. So, you know, and, and like we saw verse 27, and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And Christ having those powers, I mean, the only other, the only, only other being that has those powers is God. And of course they're part of the triune God. I mean, Christ, Jesus, the Christ is God incarnate. I mean, he's making that very clear through everything he has said throughout all of this, what he said to the woman at the well, what he has proclaimed throughout all of this, what he said to Nicodemus. We've seen this. It's very, very clear what he is, what, what John the Baptist has said about him that we've seen before back in John one. Again, it's been made clear that he is the Christ, the son of God. 
It's, it's showing that. It, again, that's that apologetic purpose that we see that is shown in John 20, verse 31, that part of it, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes on here in John 5 to call witnesses. Now, I've mentioned it before. So up through verse 16 of here, we dealt pretty much, well, actually verse 15 is more more accurate, with the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Man's been, man's been lame for 38 years. Lame for 38 years. Could not even get himself into the pool. And, and again, we're not talking, and, and I mentioned it then, he wasn't trying to compete against somebody like Usain Bolt. And, and if you don't know who he is, and I know I've said this a couple of times, this is one of the fastest men in the world as a sprinter. He's not competing against that. He's competing against other people that have same kind of problems as he does, other lame people, and he still can't get him in. That tells you how bad off he is. And the Christ, in one in one fell stroke, pick up your mat and walk. And he stands up and walks and carries that mat, which they were not light. They, you know, again, he's not toting 300 pounds over his head or anything, but these were not light. But as we hit verse 17 through the end of the chapter here, Jesus is engaging the Jews. The Jews have come out after him. The Jews, and when I'm talking Jews, remember, we're talking in in the Gospel of John, when John the Apostle, John the Evangelist, says Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leadership. He's he's not talking about your average Jew on the street, the carpenter, the shepherd, you know, whoever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Jewish leadership when he refers to them as Jews, You know, if he doesn't specifically say the Pharisees or the Sadducees when he says Jews, he means the Jewish leadership. And they are pissed at him. And I'm sorry, excuse my language, but they they are. They are mad at him because he's calling into question their power structure. He's calling into question their power because he's violating the rabbinical laws. And I know I've said this before. The rabbinical laws that they've put in place, these are not all the laws of God. In a lot of cases, these directly violated the laws of God. And I think I've told you about that before. Um, And Jesus even calls them out on that, you know, that you're sitting there and God commands that we love our father and mother and that we provide for them. Yet you're turning around and saying, well, I've already designated you rabbinically that, well, I've designated this for God. Therefore, mom and dad don't get it, you know, kind of thing, trying to use loopholes. Um, that they've created within the rabbinic law. And so they're calling him out because he won't adhere to what they're saying should happen on the Sabbath. Now, the fact is the Christ is healing a man on the Sabbath. That's exactly what God means it for. And it's very clear through the Old Testament that that's what God meant it for. That God did not mean that on the Sabbath you could not heal somebody, that you could not save somebody from death. He didn't mean any of that. But they've created this rabbinical law, and they don't want to give up their power. They don't want to forsake their power. So they're incensed at Jesus for performing those miracles. Um, but like we saw, Jesus knows the mind of men, John 2, 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. And re- remember, we talked about that belief was not the kind of belief we're talking about that the purpose of this of the gospel of John is. This is just a, a, a um, um, an intellectual ascent that, hey, we've seen this guy doing these, these signs. So again, going on there, many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he was doing. So they believed because they saw signs. They didn't really believe he was the son of God. 
But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So he knew. But we also see in the Gospels Jesus calling out the Jews for placing their traditions above the law of God, like I told you. And this is going to be a long one, and I'm sorry, but I, I think we need to hear this and look at this in this case. So this is Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. And this is honestly one of my favorite ones because it really makes clear how much of a false religion the Jewish religion had become by this point. And this is actually one of the quotes that I was just talking about here. So, and so Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders, again, tradition of the elders, not God's law. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe. So again, more tradition, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And and honestly, you'll see at another point, and I don't think it's in here, um, that he calls them out because they'll wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is nasty and, and repugnant and gross. Well, he's referring to them, that they wash their outside, but the inside of them is corrupt. So verse going on with verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Again, tradition, not God's law. But eat their bread with defiled hands. And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah, so he's using Isaiah to call him out, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. There he is calling them out. Verse 9. And he was also saying to them, You are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. Here we go. And he who speaks evil of father of mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever you might benefit from me, is Corban, that is to say, given to God. So they, they can turn around and say, well, you know, th this th th that I could benefit you with, well, it, it, it's Corban. It's been given to God. You no longer, verse 12, you no longer leave him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. So he said, this is one example of the many, many of the myriad of things you do just like this. So again, like I said, we see in John 5, 17 to the end of the chapter, Jesus mounted defense. I mean, because basically it's become a mini trial or, or a pseudo trial at this point. They've called him out. And like I said before, he doesn't address their, their complaining about him violating the Sabbath. He addresses the fact that he is the Christ, the son of God. And he proceeds to do that. And we saw how he declared very clearly that and then, you know, moved in to that. So he's shown his equality with God in verses 17 through 24. And he's shown that he has the power to execute both resurrections, both the spiritual and the physical, which again shows his equality with God, the designation of Jesus by God to carry out his ministry and thus the clear-cut indication of his being the Messiah. But starting in our verses this evening, we'll see Jesus proceed to bring witnesses to the stand to attest to his being the Christ, the Son of God. Um, 
And this is actually the, this bringing the witnesses, this the Messiah and his witnesses is going to spread out over a number of e- evenings, God willing. And but I also want to bring w- one other one other thing to you. You know, we sit here now. And I'm saying this, sorry, I needed a drink. And I'm saying this to you because in our day and time, we can get caught up on all the technology and everything else. But for a very long time in the history of man, the strength of witnesses at a trial is what made the guilty or innocent verdict, which made the appropriate decision and the appropriate punishment. The strength of the witnesses, because that was the best evidence they had. We didn't have DNA and all that stuff. We didn't have video evidence. There wasn't any of that stuff. We've become very spoiled with that. And it's great that we have that. So we really have a better chance of making sure beyond a shadow of a doubt, because man is, man is flawed, man is sinful, and man will lie. As a witness, they will lie. Not arguing that, not arguing that it happened back then. But again, back then, even back then, especially back then, first century, and well, actually long before that, God comes forward and we're going to, we're going to look at those verses. Um, God comes forward and makes very, very clear that only on the testimony of two or three should somebody be convicted. But again, that, that was their evidence was the testimony of witnesses. So Jesus has come to this point where he's going to bring forward these witnesses. So this is where he's at. Okay. I've done these other things. Basically I've made my opening statements. I've shown my equality with God in my opening statement. I've shown you that I have the power to carry out both the spiritual and the physical resurrection, and that I've been given the power to execute judgment that the father has given me the authority because I'm the son of man. So I've made, he's made that very clear through verse 29. So in verse 30, starting in verse 30, we start to see the witnesses. And what we're really going to see today is both Jesus himself witnessing about himself, and we're going to see kind of a precursor of the father witnessing about him, though we'll deal with that in much more detail um, in, in further verses later on in the week. So what we first see in verse 30 here, um, so I guess I should read through the verses. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got this far and I haven't even read our verses this this evening. So I'm sorry. As I told you, I'm a bit scatterbrained. Um, but we're going to be, be dealing with verses 30 through 32 here. So here we go. Um, hear the word of the Lord. I can do nothing from myself. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. So again, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is kind of a summary of Jesus's claim to his equality with God, um, verses 19 through 22, um, in this same chapter. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing from himself unless it is something he sees the father doing for whatever the father does. These things, the son also does in the same manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel 
For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So again, that this this is verse 30 is a summary of that. I can do nothing from myself as I hear I judge. And, and when he's saying as I hear, he's talking about as he hears from the Father. As, as he hears, he judges. And, and it goes on, my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, will, but the will of him who sent me, but the will of God. He doesn't seek his own will. He seeks the will of God. Again, he only, unless it is something, um, what is he? The son can do nothing from himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. Again, that's the indication of the will, the same will. Um, verses uh, chapter five, verses 26 and 27. For just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of God, son of man. Jesus is making clear here that he's not doing anything of his own will, his own initiative, but is solely carrying out the judgment of God, the will of God. Therefore, if the Jews, the religious elite are calling him to task for what he is doing, they are in essence calling their heavenly father to task. This is the transition that Jesus makes to summarize the previous verses about his equality to God and to set up his entry into bringing his witness before the court, his witnesses before the court. So we move on to verse 31, and this is Jesus speaking of his own witness. Verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my witness is not true. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. And I say that because when I first really read through this, it threw me until I really dug into it. it it's really easy to read through this and go, huh? And just kind of move on. But Jesus is not saying here that if he testifies himself about himself, that the testimony he makes is false. That's not what he's saying. He's saying my witness is not true. What he's indicating is that in the Jewish court, for the Levitical law, that there had to be the testimony of more than one witness to make a case, and that he recognized that they were not going to believe him if he were the only one to testify to his equality with God and to his being the Christ, the Son of God. And, and this comes from the Old Testament, from the Mosaic law, Deuteronomy 17.6, on the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, he is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the mouth of one witness. Deuteronomy 19.15, O single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. At the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. Jesus is aware of this law, and he, so he brings these further witnesses beyond himself, as we will see. That's the statement he's making. He's saying, listen, I acknowledge, within, within our, your own Mosaic law, within the Mosaic law we all live under, that if I am the only one who ever bears witness about myself, then my witness is not enough to make my case. Um, Jesus, uh, John eight fourteen, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true. Now he, d he does go on to say this later on. My witness is true for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus makes clear that what he tells them is actually true. So there's no true contradiction in verse 31 here. Again, he's not, he's not trying to say that what he says is not true. He's trying to say that it doesn't count to establish his case 
if that is the only witness there ever is about himself and about the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the statement he's making there. So verse 32, there is another, here's Christ, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know the witness which he gives about me is true. So when I dug into this, um, I found across commentaries, there's a dispute regarding this verse as to who Jesus is referring to. Some of them believe that the reference here is a preface to the next three verses that speak of the witness of John the Baptist, the forerunner. But others, and I would place myself among them, believe that Jesus is referencing God in this verse, and I'm going to show you why, that he is speaking of God that bears witness about him. The statement here, there is another one, another who bears witness about me, verse 32, about me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. So Jesus states clearly, he knows that this testimony is true, but what he says about the testimony of John the Baptist in verse 34, you have sent to John, so I'm going to start in verse 33, you have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth, but the witness I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, don't get me wrong, and we'll talk about this tomorrow evening, God willing. He's not trying to belittle the testimony of John the Baptist. The testimony of John the Baptist is very, very strong, and 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 so he's not really belittling that. I mean, all you got to do is go back to John 1 and see how strong the testimony of John the Baptist is. He's not trying to belittle that, but he's making clear that he requires no testimony from man. So if you look at verse 32... There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. That doesn't tie in to what he then says in verse 33 and 34. That, that, that They don't tie in together. So again, like I said, he's not disparaging John's testimony in this verse, but he's making clear that there is a testimony about him that he knows to be true. It's that of God. And of course, verse 37 and 38, um, later in this week, we will see the testimony of the Father in more detail, God willing. But again, to this point, what we've seen is we've seen Jesus already bring himself forward that because, yeah, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my witness is not true, meaning it's not valid, not that it's false. So that's one witness. But there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. That's God. I know that the witness which he gives about me is true. That's why I'm of the camp that I believe that this is referencing God in this verse. It's kind of a preface to what he's going to say later about the witness of God, not what he says about John the Baptist. Again, just my opinion. It's backed up by a number of theologians, but there are others who argue that. But in either case, it's an indication that, listen, there are already two witnesses here, myself and one other already testifying to the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of God. That's what he's saying here. So again, we've already got two witnesses here, Christ and the Father. And of course, we're like I said, we're going to come back and talk about the Father later in this week, God willing. But what we've also got to see, so he's made clear that God is a witness for him. And he's going to make clear that John the Baptist is a, is a 
witness for him. And we've got to see that, 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 you know, he, he's, he's pulling out the big guns. I mean, fine. You want to ignore what I'm saying, but you claim to revere God and you claim, or at least you won't dispute with the common folks that John the Baptist is a prophet, is a prophet of God. Both points of respect. I mean, honestly, they respected him enough that that Jewish leadership was going out to him to also be baptized. So obviously there's some respect there. But they testify that he is the Christ, the Son of God. They know he is the Christ, the Son of God. I mean, it, it, it's clear there that there are witnesses enough already, and he's going to bring more. Over this net, over this coming week, this week, you know, next couple of evenings, we're going to see more and more witnesses to the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And I keep hammering that home because we've got to know and believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. We've got to know that. I keep saying that over and over. We've got to know that. We've got to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that he is the only way to the Father, the only way to salvation. That we are filthy sinners and that sin and any supposedly righteous acts we commit are as filthy rags before God. And that for those who believe, Jesus Christ takes the filthy rags of our sin and puts it on himself and covers us with his pure robes of his righteousness. That Jesus Christ faces the wrath of God for the sins of the believer For you and I, if we believe, since we are completely unable to do so and pay our debt to God for them, and that this allows you and me to stand before God holy and blameless, as Ephesians 1.4 indicates. That's the gift of grace, the gift of faith. And our verses today give us ample evidence, ample testimony, ample witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is our Savior, and that if we will only believe We will have eternal life in the name of Christ. And beloved, I I would beg you this evening to truly grab hold of the truth that our verses presented to us today. And if you're not already saved, I would plead with you to get down on your knees and pray to God to put the Holy Spirit to work in you, to convict you of your sins, to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, to bring you to a place of true repentance and to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are already saved, these aren't verses we can just gloss over with the, yeah, I already know that attitude. We've got to strengthen our grasp on the truth of the gospel daily in these times of calamity and trial so that our walk is truly a Christ-like walk so that we can continue to bring the gospel to all the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations. Because the fact is, it is not going to get easier. It is only going to get harder to be a Christian to truly walk like Christ. And so we have to have a rock hard grasp on the facts of the gospel, on the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus truly is the Christ, the son of God. And he, he could only be that to pay for our sins. And we've got to know that. And we've got to hang on to that with a death grip because it truly is our eternal life that is in that is at risk so i would beg you to hang on to that truth to make that truth a core part of your foundation of your christian walk all right let's go ahead and close up we're going to close up this evening 
uh, third day evening prayer before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us, and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe, and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. But without, be without it. I'm sorry, be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, thank you for spending this time for this Bible study with me. I, I would pray that it was edifying for you, and God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. Have a great night. God bless.